Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Non-Contact Time, a podcast about all things education, hosted by Hannah and Kath. I'm Kath. I'm Hannah. I hope you've got a cup of tea and a biscuit, and you're nice and comfortable, um, and we're about to get started. Hannah, what's on the agenda today? Today, in our data segment, we're going to talk about how, in the Telegraph, a head teacher's explained that they think GCSEs belong in the Victorian era. In teaching and learning, we're going to speak to Kelly and she's going to give us some fantastic information about what dual coding is and how to do it in your classroom. In pupils causing concern, we've got some funny stories. And in any other business, we're going to talk about some upcoming Patreon episodes. We're going to talk about people's favorite teachers and we're going to do some shout outs. Excellent, Hannah. I'm really excited about today's episode. Let's get started. So, Kath, what's happening in our data section today? Okay, so this is um, an article that's really relevant at the moment. The title of the article is GCSEs belong in the Victorian era along with dunce caps, says head teacher. And um, it's from November 2019. However, now with um, the GCSEs being put on hold because of lockdown, I think that's quite an important conversation to have because I think we need to be reassessing how we run GCSE. So what these head teachers were saying are things like that we're putting students through a terrible treadmill of GCSEs and that students having a really really tough time so it's having an impact on their mental health. They've mentioned that they're outmoded, they're uninteresting, they're draining and it's really interesting that there's so many people talking like that. If we want to put it into context Hannah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about what Victorian Britain might have looked like. Do you know much about Victorian British education? Only the stereotypes. All the years were grouped together in in one schoolhouse and mm-hmm. they didn't go to school for very long periods of time and they left school at a young age but that's all I know yeah so there's things like that um there was the focus only on the three r's so reading writing arithmetic which we know don't actually all start with r I was gonna say <laughs> 
<laughs> so they also did a thing called drill, which was the equivalent to PE. You wouldn't be using your own books, you would share them in the whole class. Depending on what school you went to, you may or may not have a break time. There was also lots of punishments, quite humiliating. We don't do that. And then obviously the really stereotypical Victorian Britain was the dunce cap, which is mentioned in the article. So you'd wear a dunce cap if you did something wrong and you'd have to sit in the naughty corner. But there are some parallels and I do understand what some of these head teachers are saying because I do think that a lot of this is just about learning, rote learning. It's not about learning enrichment skills. So one of the independent schools that's part of this article mentioned that instead of the students doing more GCSEs, they're now doing fewer GCSEs and instead they're trying to make space for other things to do because the GCSEs are actually not that beneficial to the students. So things like sports clubs and societies, volunteering and things that will enrich their learning experience. So what are your thoughts on that, Hannah? Quite a lot, actually. There's a lot that you've packed in there. So I know. <laughs> I'll start with when you spoke about rote learning. When looking at, you know, studying for exams and cramming and things like that, I don't know what your experiences of exams are, but when I was at school, anything that I crammed for my exams, I forgot literally the next day. It's gone. Yeah. So anything absolutely. that you're doing at GCSE grade to get you a job or to get you onto college you've got to bear in mind that students are going to forget a lot of that information. And it makes me think that sometimes it's for the sake of being able to say, look at all the information that I can remember, as opposed to look how this is benefiting me in the future or in my future career. I think that's been a big argument, actually, is the whole it's a memory test rather than application of skills. My favorite analogy that a friend of mine's husband said at a dinner party once, when was the last time you went to a job and your employer said, I'm just going to put you in a room for an hour. Can you write down everything you know about your job? Because your employer would never ask you to do that. They want to see you applying that knowledge and applying skills. It's never on a job description. So why is it a skill that we're making students repeat over and over? You must remember this and must remember that. I had an example um, when the new GCFC started. I had a, almost an entire class of students had really, really high targets. And they were just wearing themselves out trying to remember information and do well. That it was actually detrimental because some of their results as they were getting towards um, exam time in their mocks were getting worse and worse. And it's because they were so stressed and they kept thinking, well, if I'm not doing well, then it's going to ruin my future and I'm not going to meet my targets. And I think that in itself is really, really horrible for young people. What I think is really interesting is something that I think both of us have been fighting for a long time is this idea. I love the idea that, that, that these independent schools are going, well, we need to balance it with extra curricula, which is something we talk about constantly, Hannah and I, because we're from creative subjects. And um, I found these articles that talk about the benefit of extracurricular. And it's so interesting because so much of their mental health, their relationship understanding, their communication, it comes from doing extracurricular or team sports or things where they get to work with other students. Um, It's when they get to have positive relationships with their peers. And I think making students do these individual exams that have, it's one type of skill 
it's not going to benefit every single student. So how would you like to see more extracurricular on the uh, curriculum? I used to work in a fabulous academy that used to do something called enrichment. So on a Friday, period five, Mm. students could opt in to do a topic of their choice. So my topic as a music teacher always revolved around group music activities and just fun stuff that maybe we couldn't do in the curriculum because we had class sizes of 30. So this would mean that I'd have a small size between 10 and 15 and we could do loads of really cool stuff. And students often opted for the creative subjects or the subjects that they found fun because... Mm. They really, you know, they really enjoy doing those types of things. And it taught them, like you were saying before, it teaches them social skills. It teaches them how to communicate effectively. It teaches them how to work in a group. There's loads of benefits. It's obviously a positive learning experience for them. And it helps them improve their perception of school because if you're just sat in a classroom and you're not allowed to talk to anyone and you, you know, you've got to sit there and write for a full hour, it's a very different school experience than sitting in a room full of people and you're sharing ideas and you've got lots of group work activities and you're communicating effectively and you feel like you're part of something. So that, what one extra hour a week just so students could opt in. And then it was a competition then between the teachers to see who could get over their activity oversubscribed so all the teachers started to think about really creative ideas to get students engaged and so you almost promote it like you would your option subject in assemblies and I think schools should be doing more of that kind of stuff yeah it's a follow-on effective policy isn't it it's we you have to now teach children this massive amount of content so the best way to do content is to just go through and learn the information Mm. and um, I think yeah it just has this knock-on impact because I know that there's I've spoken to science teachers um, especially who talk about that there's no balance between practical and theoretical work anymore and in fact they're doing very little practical which is the best way to learn science yeah Um, and it's because there's so much content it's not because they don't want to it's that they've got so much content to get through um, that they don't actually have that time to breathe and go right let's do this experiment let's learn this in a practical way Um, so I wish the government would change the way that they're approaching it and allow for more enrichment time like you were talking about I think that's a fantastic idea also then just putting some sort of emphasis on different skills not just essay writing or answering exam questions it might be interview skills or it might be presenting skills or it might be just something other than sitting in a hall in silence writing for hours at a time so we're saying that GCSEs probably are a little bit redundant and that we do need to look at them again Today on Non-Contact Time, we have Kelly, who's going to talk to us about dual coding and lots of other teaching experience that she has. She's a secondary school teacher that's worked in Greater Manchester for 12 years in many different roles. So welcome to the show, Kelly. Hi, thank you for having me. So we're going to start with our um, five questions that we ask all our interviewees. In five words, can you describe the best type of student to teach? Ooh, the best type of student to teach would be... Um, engaged, knowledgeable, creative, thoughtful, 
and funny. I like funny. Yes. <laughs> I like funny. I like funny students too. I'm right there with you, Kelly. <laughs> we sit with a bit of sense of humor, but can actually like write a decent paragraph. I'm all over it. Yeah. <laughs> What is your classroom pet peeve? Oh my God, not putting things back where they should be. I don't, I'm like, Hannah will know me, I'm, I'm really organized is what I think that's something that everyone would say about me is I'm really organized. And I have little baskets of, of like pens and highlighters and, and glue and stuff on the desks and stuff. And, and I swear to God, every day I have to go through it and make sure there's like two highlighters, <laughs> two glues and two everything in there. And if there's not, I'm like, oh, where's it going? <laughs> And the same. I, I totally <laughs> empathize with that. I'm an art teacher, so I have so much equipment and it all has a spot. And when yeah. people don't put things back, oh, yeah. right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> so what's something that you do to look after your mental health or to unwind at the end of a stressful teaching day? I've really started to pay more attention to this uh, in the past few years, really. And I'd say in the past year, this year, I've, I've really kind of made a conscious decision to to try and do more yoga as well. So there's a really good app called Down Dog as well, which is currently free for teachers, but I think that's going to be expiring soon as well. Uh, and just doing like a bit of stretching and uh, a bit of yoga kind of every day. And at least once a week, I go to like a proper yoga class with people and kind of reconnect and just kind of do that and just to spend like an hour a week you can kind of focus on on yourself and just breathe and do nothing but stretch i find really good and i know it, it maybe sounds like a bit of a cliche but that's like my one thing after a really stressful day whatnot just have a bit of me time a bit of breathing a bit of stretching and yeah try not to reach right. <laughs> i want that app i'm definitely going to get that app now what's it called Dad? i actually wrote it down <laughs> <laughs> down dog Final one of this section of questions. What is one thing you would like to change about education? So much you want to change about education, really. Um, I think about it now, just the external assessment intensity of it, just ever, like all the GCSEs leading up to one linear exam or exam two mm. papers or something. And I think this year has really kind of proven that um, maybe it's not the best model that we have like what if we can't hold these exams so what do we do then and we've had to kind of whip together this 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 system which you know if you just go off of teacher assessments with you know that has rigor and and um formality to it then that should be good enough it, it shouldn't all be leading up to like these these one-time exams are just so stressful for kids and teachers alike with so much accountability held to it it's got to be a better way a lot of people have said that actually it's really interesting that a lot of teachers have said the same thing over the past few weeks and it's yeah. interesting that what's happening now and what's going to happen in the summer and you know it's something to watch out for I think yeah I don't think they'll ever go away because AQA and OCR and all the other exam boards have got so much invested in in these exams and like they're, they're so large and so many people make money from it I doubt that they'll ever go away but who knows okay so we're going to talk a bit about your experiences with dual coding could you give us dual coding in a nutshell dual coding is in essence 
pairing words with visuals in order to make better connections in students' memories about the information that they're being presented to. So when we explain something to students verbally, it goes in kind of one memory track, but then if it if it's paired with a visual, it goes into like their visual um, memory track as well. So it's a way to kind of encode that information repeatedly and it, they're better able to kind of recall it as well or it's, it's, it's a visual cue in essence so it, to do it right you need to have like the right visuals for it um, and pairing it with kind of the right words as well and I think that that's the trick everyone's like oh I've, I, I always put like a visual on my powerpoint slide and stuff to kind of demonstrate something but you know is it is it purposeful is it the right right visual so and the, the author of it is Oliver Caviglioli he's done lots of work on this as well and that's his big pet peeve is is using the right visuals for it so that and mind maps he hates mind maps so. <laughs> oh no <laughs> that's my go-to <laughs> it is I mean it, it is everyone's kind of go-to I, mean, I I will put my hand up and I will say that I've like yeah do a mind map on this now as well but uh -huh. you know, teachers who are like that's religiously their only kind of revision tool that they have I'm trying to find the best quote for it as well because I was I was trying to refresh my memory on this as well and I was looking through his book um, and Caviglioli says a mind map is not special creative or magical it is no more than a tree diagram radiantly arranged around a central title with curvy lines that's all ouch <laughs> wow burn <laughs> no. So you think, hmm, yeah. Maybe I won't use them anymore. <laughs> so how do you know if you've used the right visuals? It's one of the best examples that I kind of came across. You know, the best way to use dual coding when uh -huh. explaining a topic was, was, was kind of in a science lesson and, you know, explaining how the heart works. So, you know, as a teacher, you think there's so many ways it can kind of do this, but the best way to explain how it is, is, is getting, is giving the students a very simple, realistic description of a heart, you know, the certain valves and chambers and stuff, not with any labels or anything on it. Cause you think, yeah, give them the diagram with the labels already on it as well, so that they can follow along and they, they have it. But the best way to do it was just give them like the image and explain the purpose of like how it kind of functions and works and use the different names whilst demonstrating it to the students so you'd have it on the board and you would talk through it and you would label it as you kind of go along and then the students could also do that because they're concentrating solely on you like that's, that's the other bit of it is is you know one focus that's the teacher explaining it using a visual and explaining it as well uh -huh. So, and I think, yeah, that's the simplest way. If I want to know how the heart works, I want someone to have a diagram and to kind of explain it around it and label it as well. And then I could follow that and label it as well. And I would say pace and, and everything and the explanation comes into play. But that that's the best way. Now, I'm an English teacher, so, um, you know, I always want to put like a picture of like a character or something with it. But, um, you know, in English, you would think about you know, like narrative events or a character, you kind of draw the character, or you'd have a character and you'd kind of label 
you know, their motives or what they look like or things that they did kind of as you go with it and can get students to kind of do that as well. So I've seen some examples where it's done well and I've seen examples where it's done, you know, really well and I've seen examples where it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not dual coding. You know, I've, I've seen some lessons where they think, you know, I'll put this meme up as well and on the on the slide or I'll put this bitmoji on as well and all it serves is is a visual distraction for students and that's what you have to think about you know if you use the right image with with your stuff is it a distraction or is it serving a purpose and about organizing information so like mine we're talking about mind maps you know it's a really good way to kind of remember everything that you did and stuff but you know you think about like other things that you could do like cause and effect or flow charts or uh you know like grids or something like that so think, you have to think about how you want the students to organize the information and why that's important and then use the appropriate kind of graphic organizer for that information do you have any other examples of how you use it in your teaching practice kelly so i really tried to think about how information is presented like in graphic organizers as well so uh, one thing in English is obviously like comparing and contrasting information or ideas and stuff so using Venn diagrams as well so how they're similar or different I really tried to focus on that and it hits numerical numeracy skills too thinking about like flow charts you know like cause and effects within like a narrative I really tried to to help students kind of organize the information it's about using the appropriate one too like I said um Oliver Caviglioli he's got a really good book like dual coding with teachers and it's so good and he gives so many examples it's like a little like how-to guide um, and then research ed home has been doing like some online uh, CPD sessions every day and they've had two actually on dual coding one by Adam Boxer and one by Oliver Caviglioli and both of them are really good as well and they give like lots of really good examples so yeah it's how I've been trying I've been trying to use it better in my teaching over the past year or two. So how have you found that's evolved from when you first started creating these um, dual coding diagrams to how you are with it now? It does make sense with everything. It, like he thinks about, he talks about how you lay out your PowerPoint slides. And I really, really hate busy PowerPoint slides and I've had to edit some completely. Just so you know, it's it's useful for, for all abilities, particularly like SEN students who can't deal with five different colors on a slide or, you know, three different fonts and, you know, every slide layout is different as well you know you have like a really kind of really streamlined clear set this is how it is so you know you have I always have like kind of common format to my slides you know titles will always be one color and everything else and I try not to overload them with too many words which is so hard in English but you know you try <laughs> um and so I've I really thought about how the information is presented and in his book it talks about things like displays and posters as well like just how to really make it clean as well so I've really learned like you don't use any more than like three colors on a slide and that like that's with it so like his whole book is just in black white and red and that's it and it's, it's really nice to look at it's so easy to read I and mean, you think but like oh my god if I can do this in a powerpoint slide it just make my teaching probably a whole lot better. <laughs>
yeah. How did the how receptive are the students then? Have they um, do they enjoy looking at the different types of formats of dual coding and do they use it in their books or is it predominantly on the PowerPoints? So if I'm doing like revision on a text like an Inspector Coles and I want them to kind of recap kind of the events of, of the play or if I want you know I may give them like a template to use all right about how to you know do kind of a flow chart of cause and effect and or um, kind of like a fish diagram you know certain bits of information that caused the the event or something and they I don't think they I've come across it in many other subjects with teachers and stuff and so but they they've used it and they enjoyed it and you can see the like chunking that information down so right I'm going to work on this bit I've got, I've got that now the next bit as well because I've seen I've seen some graphic organizers for Inspector Calls like the events of the play and it looks nice um, but it's really complicated since like well what do I put here and what do I put here and, and then you have to kind of as with anything you have to kind of guide them along like what you have to do but I find just a really clean graphic organizer has just really really helped and it helps the students like they're chunking that information down and going to revise things and they're like oh I don't know this bit here and they can go and they can find out so they're, they're receptive to it. We've been talking a lot about retention of information and chunking a lot because a lot of our a lot of exams now are all effectively tests of memory because there's a lot so much information to remember so this yeah. sounds like quite a quite a useful tool to use when doing revision and stuff like that do you do it a lot across the year groups or do you do it mainly with key stage four um i try to do it with all year groups because like, it'll benefit them at any stage i mean with revision obviously with key stage four it's a lot more helpful but i think you know you never have to just revise in year 11 you have to revise in every single year you have to be able to organize information in every single year as well so you know how you kind of differentiate it may be a little bit different but you know you have to think about what do you want the students to learn you know what's the easiest way for them to to have that visually as well whilst you also talk um, and I think once you have that kind of foreground you know it, it works for every year. I'm really interested in trying this myself, actually. Yeah. I've <laughs> taken really so many notes. Thank you so much, Kelly. Obviously, with art, it's really good, too. Like, as you as yeah. you stuff, I mean, that's one thing. Um, I've always tried to have kind of common symbols kind of go along with my slides. So if I want them to analyze, I have a certain symbol. If I want them to annotate, mm. there's ones as well. But, you know, it's, it's finding a good graphic that kind of shows that as well and he has some in his book but like they don't always make sense you have to kind of explain them but once you understand what it is it's a lot easier and it's like god I wish I could just like sketch what I want <laughs> and stuff. Yeah. Like, I don't have like a stylus or anything either to make it like zip onto my powerpoints but yeah if you can find how to do that in art great <laughs> yeah I always find best if there's like a cohesive format across the school because like I may do it one way, you know, Hannah will do, uh -huh. another, do it another way as well. And if that kid bounces around from, you know, four or five different subjects in secondary school, it can get really confusing. So my That's advice true. would be try to have a common format across the school, not make it overly complicated either. Um, just really simple guidelines. Yeah, we have like a challenge and a support box and 
they always put them in certain colors in English, but you know, other subjects I know they do it differently as well. That's really oh. interesting. I think that is important because they do it in primary school. They'll have one teacher for everything and they'll have the same format for the whole year. So to, for secondary teachers to do it, it's a quicker way of processing information for the students, isn't it? Because if they see that symbol for analyse or that symbol for describe, they know automatically without you having to get all wordy and, you know, spend too much time talking to them, they'll automatically know, oh, I know what I've got to do there because I do it everywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many skills that are transferable across all the subjects, like, yeah, describe, analyse, evaluate, uh, synthesise create you know <laughs> so I think if you have like those common symbols across your school it's so much easier for for students to kind of get to grips with what they have to do and just to process that information like what they have to do definitely I think that's the the, the key part isn't it is processing that information thank you so much for explaining that I'm really interested in this In our Pupils Causing Concern section, Kelly's going to talk about some funny stories from her experiences. The one that always stood out to me was when a year eight girl asked me just kind of out of the blue in a lesson what was an orgasm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just getting on with some work and she's like, miss, yes, yeah, what's an orgasm? And I was like, um, blah, 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 blah. I just pretended I didn't hear her. And kind of kept working with my computer because she was she was her family was utterly religious and you can tell she just had such a sheltered life and she generally wanted to know but it was just that type of class I'm like I cannot breach a subject whatsoever I cannot talk about this in this Thanks, Kelly, for that great story. If you've got any stories about students causing concern or any other funny stories about teaching, we'd love to hear them. Please share them with us. You can do it on our social media pages. So, Hannah, what's in any other business today? In any other business today, we're going to listen to Michael's favourite teacher. Michael's going to be on the podcast next week, and he's talking about his experiences in the education system in America. He's a coach and he's also a maths teacher. So have a listen to Michael's favourite teacher. You know, it's, uh, I'm sure if you ask me uh, each day, I'm sure it could change a little bit. Uh, but looking back, I'd have to say that my favourite and the best teachers were the toughest teachers. Uh, Mrs. Tortorella jumps out to me, uh, a middle school math teacher um, who ended up becoming a family friend. She was tough on me and now I see why. And so I'm just extremely appreciative of those teachers. That's nice because I did um, a little interview with a couple of children the other day and their favourite teacher is the one who's the least strict. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. If you would have asked me 20 years ago, I probably would have had a different answer. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for that, Michael. Kath, you're going to speak to us about some of the responses to last week's online learning episode that we got through. Yeah, so thank you to those people who've gotten in touch with us about our first official episode. It was very, very exciting. One listener wrote to me and said that some of the students at their school don't even have access to the internet. So they're having to go into school 
download all the work for those students, print it all out, and then posting work back out to the students. So one of the problems that they're finding, which also responds to Lord Adonis's comments, is that you can't set work for those students in the same way that you would set an online learning task. If you don't have access to the internet, then you can't actually set a video lesson and you can't even set like a lesson where there's an aspect of the lesson where they watch a video or they see an online demonstration of a task or they go and access an image. So it makes it really, really difficult. So thank you for those people who've um, shared that. There's also a lot of schools that have been thinking really carefully about what work they have to set because they're very, very mindful of widening the gap and they're trying to think of the best ways to ensure everyone's getting a really good education. I know lots of schools are doing that. I also got a message from another listener that said it's just an absolute mess at the moment. <laughs> so thank you for that piece of feedback. And then the final piece of feedback we had was a teacher saying that when they return to school that it's only going to be the core subjects being taught at their school when secondaries return. This is a secondary return rather than a primary. And because the focus is core subjects, it reinforces the idea that the other subjects aren't important at all, which I think if you are a foundation subject or an option subject sometimes there is a feeling that your subject isn't important and they also said that the creative subjects are always the first departments that the school comes to if they want to showcase the school provide work for a brochure or make a plaque for a new building or it might be something for the parents or it might be an event it's always those creative subjects that are called on first however when those year 10s those year 12s return to school it's not going to be the same teaching that they were receiving before lockdown and I think that's really important to remember too is that it's going to be a reduced provision for them it's not going to be well they're back at school and it's going to be school as normal. That is so loaded because there's so much in there despite the fact that all the other subjects in the curriculum are there to further the progress of students in every aspect and it you know rounds them off as a holistic learner and get into grips with lots of different subjects it's also how are those teachers feeling about their subjects being marginalized because they're non-core i think you've just um hit something that we've been researching recently too hannah hannah and i have been talking a lot about well-being and we're going to have an upcoming episode talking about well-being and student well-being just because there's so much about returning to school that has to be about children's well-being just because they're back in school doesn't mean they're going to be able to throw themselves back into academics because there's going to be so much else that we have to deal with as well and maybe the creative subjects are the way to do that so thank you for all the listener feedback we really really appreciate it and if you've got any comments or you want to share any thoughts we've got any feedback we'd love to hear it so just make sure you contact us on social media so we're at non-contact time on instagram and twitter and we've also got our email address noncontacttime at gmail.com and we're also now on apple podcasts and you can rate us on there so give us a review it'd be fantastic yeah thanks we're on so many different sites now <laughs> it's quite <laughs> exciting yeah talk to you guys soon thanks for listening bye bye